0: As you're, as you're seated, please open to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis 46, uh, we'll start reading in verse 28, and we'll cover from there through chapter 47, verse 27. We're not sticking with the, the chapter divisions this morning. Uh, we're, we're sticking with um, this theme In these verses, so let's read together Genesis 46, beginning of verse 28. The 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 he in verse 28 is Joseph. He had sent Judah ahead of him to show Joseph. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father in Goshen. He presented himself. To him And fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. The Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. "'Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. "'Let them settle in the land of Goshen, "'and if you know any able men among them, "'put them in charge of my livestock. "'Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father "'and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. "'And Pharaoh said to Jacob, "'How many are the days of the years of your life?' "'Jacob said to Pharaoh, "'The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years.' Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Canaan and in the land of of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvests you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth, the land, that land of the princes alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Father, we praise you for your word and thank you. Father, we, we give you all the glory that we can meet together in a place like this openly, read your word, hear from you, speak together, sing together, pray together. Father, we pray that you would continue to protect us, that we would be able to continue to read and to study and apply and be changed by your word. Father, for those across the world that have not this luxury, that don't have this ability, we pray for your protection for them. And God, we pray that you would give them an opportunity to read, to study, to grow. We thank you for our Savior Jesus in his name. Amen. Well, if you remember the context of where we are here in chapter 46 in Genesis, Joseph has finally made himself known to his brothers. And Pharaoh has invited Jacob and the whole family to come move down to Egypt because Pharaoh has promised the best of the land. So last week we saw that Jacob began the journey south, but he had stopped at Beersheba because he was going to worship God. He wanted to ensure that this was the direction God wanted him to go, that it was God's will. And we saw last week, just because things look right, because things seem right to us, doesn't mean we should just start going or moving out without God pointing us in a direction, sending us, without it being right in God's eyes. So in order for Jacob not to fear, God gave him four promises. And we looked at them last week because we have the same promises. We can hold to the same promises. Rather than living in fear, we can have a God-given confidence for life because of God's promises. What he has done, what he is doing, what he will do, he has made us into a great nation as he promised to Jacob, not confined to any earthly nation, a nation of believers. He is with us. He will bring us out of here and we will be reunited with loved ones in him. Well, after that, we saw the genealogical completion of chapter 46. And that was part of our outline that was nice and alliterative, right? There was an allusion, or it all lines up, right? All the letters all lined up. The genealogical completion, but it showed us God's... Fulfillment of promises made to his people that they were going to expand and that they would be completely blessed by him. And, and we saw, we talked about how this was God providing for them in full and complete ways, already happening, and it would continue to happen. And we ran out of time really looking at the coming together, the genuine coming together. But Jacob and Joseph were reunited, and Joseph wept for a good while. The, the powerful man of Egypt, the second in command of all of the land of Egypt, is crying on his father's neck, brought to tears. We looked at the map of Egypt and Israel, and we noted the abundance of greenery in that Nile Delta, which is where, the, where Goshen is. It's on the eastern part of the Nile Delta. And we saw it was such a blessing for God's people to be there in that part of the land. But the biggest blessing was having the entire family together in one location because dwelling, brothers dwelling together in unity, oh, there's nothing better. Brothers and sisters coming together, living in unity unity. The family is together. The people of God, the chosen line who will bring about the Messiah, who God will make into a great nation, is all now in one place. And what we didn't get to was the guarded contrast between God's people and those of Egypt who were not his people and it's okay because at, at last week as I was, debating, I was debating whether to include this part of chapter 46 with fat, chapter 47 or if I should try to include it with chapter 46, and that's what I tried to do, but God said, nope, it's going to be part of chapter 47. So there we go. Praise the Lord for His working. Because the question that's considered here in chapter 46 verses 31 through chapter 47 verse 27 is how... The people of God are to live in a place that is not their permanent home. God's covenant with Abraham that was passed to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to all of the people of Israel was for physical land in Canaan. But here they are in Egypt. So as this people of God await their inheritance in Canaan, the promised land, how are they supposed to live in the land of Egypt among the people of Egypt? And it's an important question for us because we also have been promised a home with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in heaven forever. You might remember from 1 Peter 1 that our inheritance, which is to come, which is based on the fact that we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that inheritance that's that's true for us is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable means it's eternal. It endures forever. Undefiled means it's pure and it's perfect. And unfading means that it maintains in perpetual purity forever. It's freshness and purity forever. That's our home. That's our real, true, everlasting home. And that's where we're heading. But not only that, God tells us that he is keeping that place for us. He's making sure that it stays that way. And then he also tells us that he is guarding us to bring us to that place so that the place isn't going to go away and we're not going to fall away. God's going to bring us to our home forever. Isn't that wonderful news? Isn't that awesome? That means that we don't belong here permanently. This is not our true forever home. That's with Jesus in heaven. In fact, in chapter 2, Peter calls us sojourners and exiles. A sojourner is somebody who stays somewhere temporarily. That's what we are. We're staying here temporarily until we're brought home. Israel is right now sojourning in a land that's not the promised land. That's why Paul says of us that our citizenship in Philippians 3.20 is in heaven, not here. And there's so much in the New Testament about us living here in our temporary place as aliens, as pilgrims, as sojourners, temporary residents, and it's explained and it's taught and it's revealed to us in the New Testament. But here in Genesis, we get a picture. We get, a, we get a, an idea through lives what it looks like to live in a place temporarily, So even as we pick up from last week at the end of chapter 46, it moves us right along into answering this question. How do we live in this world that's not our home? What does it look like for the people of God to live where God has us for now until he brings us home? Now we need to remember that this is for God's people and it's for God's people collectively. That was why he brought all of his people out of the land into the land of Egypt so that they would be together. And so this is what he has called us to be and do together as the church today, not as Israel any longer, but as the church now, we are to be together in fellowship and in unity. So as we stick together in fellowship and unity because of our love for Jesus, how do we live here? Now, at different times in different parts of church history, people have tried different things. If you would, turn with me real briefly to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, because it, it, for some people in church history, they said, well, we are different. We, we, we have a new home to come. And because we're only here temporarily, um, let's be separate from the rest of the world physically. Let's, let's block ourselves off. Let's go live in the desert. Let's set up a monastery. Let's sit on the top of a pole and see how holy we can be apart from everybody else around us. We're not from here. And this is a temptation for many people in the church today. I'll just stay away from the world. I'll be physically separate. Other people in church history have said, no, 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 we got to take the opposite approach. We need to be in and among the people of the world and they need to be in and among us. So let the world come in and let them be the world among us. Let them have their sin and let them keep their sin and let's celebrate it with them because not only do they accept sin, they celebrate sin and they demand that we celebrate it with them. So bring them in and we'll just all be happy together in sin and one day hopefully they'll get around to believing in Jesus. And the second one is what many in the church in America are turning to for the answer. The church is going to become irrelevant, we're told. If we don't get with the program, the world accepts and celebrates all kinds of sexual sins, immorality, divorce, no marriage at all, homosexuality, and more. The world accepts and celebrates the challenge to God's created order in gender and fluidity, in abortion and euthanasia, idolatry, and everything else, right? So you're going to become irrelevant. People are going to forget all about you, church unless you get with the program, celebrate all of that. But neither of those ideas are what God has for us, what God's called us to. Neither of those extremes of get out of the world and stay away from the world, or let the world be the world within you and among you. Neither one of those are what Jesus had in mind here in John 17. Now we've referred to this prayer many times before. It is his high priestly prayer, how he prays for us before he leaves this earth. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word. Who is them? Look at verse 9. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus is praying for believers in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So in verse 14, he prays for them because they have the word of God and because the world hates them, as it hated Jesus, because they're not of the world just as Jesus is not of the world. Now, that again refers to our temporary place here on earth. Yes, we are physically born here on earth. We are born here, we are of the world physically, like all human beings are. But in Jesus Christ, we have been given a new life. We have been born again in the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We who believe in Jesus are new creations, amen, created for heaven. So we are now of heaven. That new life, that eternal life now eclipses and supersedes this temporary physical life. So it's no longer appropriate for us to say we are of the world. We are now of the word we are now substantially and constitutionally different from what we were before because of Jesus. While those without Jesus remain as we once were. So we are no longer of the world, but of the word. So does that mean then that we should try what people long ago have tried? Physically separate ourselves, block ourselves off, go out to the desert, set up a monastery. All the other answers that people have said, should we just be in isolation together? No, look at verse 15. Jesus prays, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. See, they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world, Jesus says. That's what he's praying to the Father. He prays for protection while we're in the world, not removal from it. Even more, look at verse 18. As you sent me, as you, Father, sent me, Son, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, not only does God not collect us immediately after we become children of God and take us out of here, not only does Jesus pray that we'll be taken up out of this world, he prays and he says, I'm sending them into the world so that we will be in the world. So far from being a good idea to isolate ourselves, far from a good idea, Jesus wants us in the world and among the world. So the idea of separating ourselves from everybody is right out the window. Yet the opposite idea that we should just become like the world and let the world be just like us is also right out the window. Look at the end of verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He prays that the Father would keep us from the the, the evil one, the devil, rather than falling in line with the unbelievers in the world, which is all under the influence of the evil one, the accuser, Satan, the devil, the God of this world. Jesus says, Father, keep them from him. So in verse 17... Jesus makes the request that the Father would set us apart from the world. Sanctify, make us different, distinct, unique in holiness so that we will not be like the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus prays. Now, these are the verses that we get. You've heard this before, be in the world but not of the world. These are the verses that that comes from, that nice, tidy little saying. We, people of God who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are no longer from this world as part of this world, participating in its ways and under the wrath of God, as we talked about a few minutes ago in the Lord's Supper. We're not of the world, even though we're still in it, but it's Jesus' plan and it's God's will that we still be in it until he calls us home. So people have tried to figure out for a long time, how do we live as God's people in this world? And all they had to do was read what Jesus prayed for us. And to find out what his will is. We're to be different, though still in. We're to be of him, of his word, of his kingdom. No longer of this world and this kingdom. But we're still supposed to be in it. Now Jacob's family didn't have Jesus' words in John 17. But by God's grace, they live out this plan in Egypt. And we get to see it in living color. So let's look at it together. And and there are three parts. Number one, we'll pick up where we left off with last week. Uh, So it's number four from last week, yet number one for this week. Believers keep a guarded contrast, verses 31 to 34 of chapter 46. A a guarded contrast. We talked about Goshen being not just a blessing because of its provision, but it was separate from the main part of the culture of Egypt. Its language, its culture, its religion. Jesus says, look, I'm going to go... Jesus. Joseph says... Uh, I'm going to go tell Pharaoh that you all are from Canaan. You come here from Famin, uh, t- from Canaan, but I'm going to tell them, tell him, you are keepers of livestock. You're shepherds. You work with animals all the time. You've brought your flocks, your herds, and everything else that you have. Remember, Pharaoh had told them, just leave everything behind and just come here to Egypt. Now, why would this be important? Because Pharaoh's idea was just get down here and live here. You'll have everything you need, and you can also become Egyptian. You can just become like one of us. They would have been assimilated into Egypt if they had left their trace of their animals, their heritage, their promises from God that they were going to be going back to Canaan, who they have been because of God's work in them. If they had left it all behind, they would have just been assimilated, joined up as Egypt. But they were going to live in Goshen. And because they were going to be there, they, were, they would be separate from the big culture that would happen in the Egyptian cities They brought their own culture, their animals, their things that would keep them separate, that would make them stay separate from Egypt. So that's why Joseph tells them, when Pharaoh asks you, tell him you're keepers of livestock. It's all we ever known. That's what our fathers were. That's what we are. It's what we're going to be. And it's important because shepherds, those who work with animals in this sense, are an abomination to the Egyptians. So you get to stay separate, (laughs) The result is the Egyptians will leave you alone. You get the best of the land of Egypt. You get to remain separate as a Hebrew, as God's chosen people, rather than becoming Egyptian, not God's chosen people. And as a culture, that's a good thing. But as God's people, that's a necessary thing. So in Goshen, they'll be blessed together and they'll be separate from Egypt, although inside Egypt, geographically separate, culturally separate, even spiritually separate in this land of blessing. And they'll enjoy the protection of their enemies by Egypt. And they get the benefit of learning some organization and some civilization and government. In in other words, they'll be in Egypt, but not of Egypt. Now, later on, that's going to be important for God. He's going to point out the distinction in his people when God brings the plagues of Egypt that lead up to Exodus, the, the exodus of the people out of the land the first three plagues apparently happened to everyone all across the land of Egypt. The water was turned to blood. The frogs came up on the land everywhere. The gnats spread everywhere throughout the land. But in preparation for the fourth plague, the flies, God said in Exodus 8:22, on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. That's where his people were, where my people dwell. So that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. He says, thus I will put a division between my people and your people. And that distinction, that division would be kept, it would be maintained throughout the rest of those plagues through the Exodus. There's a distinction between God's people and those who are not his people. That's also true for us. That's part of God's plan for us, brothers and sisters. Not just that we be united together in all the blessings and the fellowship of being God's people as the church, but that we be separate from the world. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6. You can turn there, but you don't have to. We're just going to read it. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Don't be joined together. Now listen to the contrasts here and how different, how separate God's people are to be. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Have you ever seen it where it's light and dark at the same time? It doesn't happen. Uh, What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Another name for Satan, the evil one. What, what, What kind of fellowship, what kind of harmony is there between them? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? The same kind of opposites are being explained here. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, he says. As God has said, I will live among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, because of God's presence in us, because we belong to him, because he is our God, therefore, come out from them and be separate, God says. Says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6 and 7, we are to be separate. And Not only are we to be together, we're, we're to be together in a way that is distinct from the world. And again, it doesn't mean that we shield ourselves and we never go out into the world and, and we're not a part of this world, but in our fellowship, our koinonia fellowship, our, our, our partnership in serving the Lord, our existence as worshipers, as disciples, as equippers for ministry, all of that happens here as the church, true fellowship and increasing in lives of worship does not and cannot happen outside of the church, but we're in the world. How does this play out? We'll get to that in the next two parts. But, but just to finish this out, Joseph said, I have to let Pharaoh know you're here. I'm going to get this final public approval, so we're going to go talk to him. It's, he's already approved it, but we're going to do it in, in person, in public. Um, and, and tell him you're shepherds, because that's, that's what you are. Um, and you're planning to remain shepherds, he says. You're not planning to become Egyptians. And so the application that we had from last week that we didn't finish was that we as believers draw confidence from God's promises that are completely fulfilled within the fellowship of His people as we're separate from the world. But for this week, as we are separate from the world, that's the truth. That needs to be our mindset. We need to understand that that's the truth of what happens. But then what does interaction and involvement with the world look like now that we are different? How did they do it? That's what's next. Number two. The second point here that we're going to see in, in chapter 47, verses 1 through 12, is that believers interact with worldly leaders. Believers interact with worldly leaders. We see in these verses that Joseph follows protocol. He, he presents his father, as brothers, and then his father to Pharaoh. Joseph knows who God is, yet he also knows that God has put Pharaoh in charge of Egypt, and they're in Egypt. So they fall under the authority of Pharaoh right now. And so part of this protocol was, let's not bring all 11 of my brothers you know, traipsing through here. Let's just bring five. And we're, we're not told which ones they are, and we're not told why he chose these five. It's an interesting study that some people think it was because they would be more respectful than the other six. Some people think that these were the strongest five. So Pharaoh would see, look, we're strong people. Don't mess with us. Some people think it was the five weakest, like we're no threat as we come to stay in your land. Whatever it was, we're not told why, but he brought these five in. He's following protocol to show respect and for these brothers to show respect to Pharaoh. And they went along with Joseph's plan. They answer the question of their occupation, and then they ask to stay. Now, many Christians believe that it's okay to be disrespectful to worldly leaders, You know, the world, they they fall on the other side, especially the ones that fall on the other side of where I'm at politically, right? On my political spectrum, the ones that fall on the other side, you know, they don't seem to to understand what they're doing. They don't seem to be politically very competent in their jobs. They're so belligerent towards me and my beliefs, and sometimes they just make it so easy to be critical, (laughs) Now, we've talked about it before, but as human beings in the world, as citizens of this country where we are, we are supposed to have a voice. We can and should be doing what we can to influence decisions through elections and contacting representatives, things like that. But it doesn't include the things that go along with it so often, the humiliating jokes at the expense of worldly leaders that we're supposed to be respecting. God says in Romans 13, we must be in subjection to government leaders. That word word subjection means to place yourself under. We're to be placing ourselves under the authority, giving to them what we owe them in Romans 13, which is taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. That's what God says we're supposed to do to worldly leaders. The same word is used in 1 Peter 2 for being subject to, arranging ourselves underneath, under the authority of, that God has placed over us in government, so that we respect everyone, love our brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor, or government, worldly leaders. So as the selected five brothers are presented before Pharaoh, they also humble themselves to show respect, referring to themselves as Servants. And then they explain what they're doing. We're sojourning. We're staying temporarily. Please let your servants dwell in Goshen. Now, he already said that he would allow them. They're already there, but they're not taking it for granted. They're being respectful. They're being humble before him. Brother and sister, how would you deal with a worldly leader? If you were invited to go stand before President Biden... Would you be respectful and, and humble? This is what God calls us to. If, if you, were to, to, you were called to go stand before Governor Hobbs of Arizona... This is what God calls us to. He says, this is the government, the, the leaders that are placed over you. Arrange yourself underneath them. Respect, honor, obey, even 2 Timothy 2, pray for them. That's the instruction and the pattern in the Scriptures. Whether it's wicked Belshazzar, pagan Nebuchadnezzar, ungodly Darius, it was true of the kings in Israel and Judah, whether they were good in God's eyes or evil. It was true in the New Testament when the emperor who was targeting Christians with persecution, we were still told to honor that emperor. This is what the Lord calls us to. And he doesn't say, now this is going to be easy for us. And I don't want to get too far away from the context here, but you know, some people like to say, well, Jesus called Herod a fox one time. In Luke 13, Pharisees came and they warned Jesus, Herod wants to kill you, you better get out of here. Jesus says, go tell that fox exactly what I'm doing and I'm going to keep doing it. I must go on my way. So as Jesus referred to Herod as fox, it's a strong way of pointing out his hypocritical immorality his unsuitable actions as a ruler. Jesus was setting the example that even though we are to arrange ourselves under, we're to honor and respect and pray for and obey all of these government leaders, we still have to be honest about sin. Subjection does not mean subjection as to God under these authorities, but as rulers and authorities, when they cross that authority, when they, when they move past and beyond what they should have, we obey God rather than men. And we fully expect that we may encounter the wrath of these men or women, their persecution, possibly even death from worldly leaders when we disobey them. But our ultimate accountability is to God. And we still have to call sin, sin. We don't just blindly follow. So that's both the pattern and instruction from the Bible. So God's people in the world are here in the world, but we're not of it. We we don't ignore worldly leaders and pretend that we're above them and, and we don't have to listen to them. We're respectful and humble, even when they're unbelieving. And that comes with God's approval. Not only did it come with God's approval, it came with Pharaoh's approval here in Genesis. I'm still in John. Back in Genesis. He offers them a promotion. If you find any of them that are good, that are faithful, make them shepherds of my livestock. Put them in charge. Then in verses 7 to 12, Jacob comes in, and we need to understand that in ancient Egyptian culture, for a person to reach the age of 110 years old, well, well that was considered ideal. Wow, oh, that's, a, that's a perfect life. That's the height of what you could ever expect in life. It's well-lived. It's worthy of respect. So Jacob comes in, and he's obviously very old. He's 130 years old at this point, and he's presented to Pharaoh as the brothers were, but there's a difference here. Protocol would say, normal person, you're presented to Pharaoh, you speak when he's spoken to you, as the brothers did. Joseph does not wait. Because the culture of Egypt sees Jacob as exceeding that 110 years old, he's given some respect. He's allowed to speak to Pharaoh. What does Jacob speak to Pharaoh given this opportunity to speak to him? He blesses him. Do you see that in verse 7? Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. The idolatrous Pharaoh is blessed by the God believing Jacob. Now, we don't have the specific words, but normally a blessing like this is health, years of long life, may you have a long rule over Egypt. You know, I mean, those are the typical uh, parts of a blessing. Whatever it entailed, it was a wish for success for Pharaoh in whatever areas that. That Jacob had talked about and he initiated that blessing as he came before him and then they have a conversation that we'll look at in a minute but when they're finished look at verse 10 Jacob blesses Pharaoh again now it's not just he- Egyptian culture but Hebrews 7 7 makes it clear that the superior blesses the inferior <laughs> the, the one who's um, more important blesses the one who's less important in terms of human understanding but as the Egyptians recognized, Jacob's ideal age, he exceeded his, the ideal age of 110, he's 130, but more than that, Jacob's God is far superior to any God that Pharaoh knows or serves. So Jacob really is in a superior position because of his God, but he uses that to bless Pharaoh. The question is, would you do that, brother and sister? <laughs> President Biden, Governor Hobbes. Mitch McConnell, would you be respectful, humble, and bless them? Not excuse sin, not, not pretend that you know, the sins are okay, or, or that, that um, inappropriate decisions and wrong ways of ruling would, are just okay, but not avoiding them, not ignoring them, not putting them down. How different would that be for a believer to act that way? That's what God calls us to in the conversation, Jacob admits his life has been difficult. He says, Few and evil have been the days of the years of his life. But he knows, just like we do, that a lot of that has been his own fault. <laughs> He's brought on that, that difficulty himself. He hasn't lived as long as Abraham's grandfather, who lived 175 years. He hasn't lived as long as his father, Isaac, who lived 180 years. But they were sojourners, and so is he. And despite all of the hardship, despite all of the difficulty and the evil that is experienced, He's not bitter, he blesses. So in verses 11 and 12, they settle in Goshen. It's also called the land of Ramses. And let's not overlook that they receive not just a rental plot or just a little space. Verse 11 says, they're given a possession in the best of the land of Egypt. They own property. And this was blessing from Pharaoh to Egypt. So remember, as we we move along, as we keep going, that what God had said to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you. Pharaoh is blessing the people of Israel with all this protection and this provision. And God's going to bless Pharaoh for that in verses 13 to 31 that we'll look at next. But believers in Jesus Christ, we belong to Jesus. We belong to God through Jesus. We are therefore separate from the world. But that separation does not mean we ignore everyone or act like we just can be disrespectful and prideful before worldly leaders. And the New Testament includes all worldly government leaders from your boss at work to judges and governors and kings and emperors and presidents and whoever else. But if we're supposed to do that to the most difficult ones to do that for, (laughs) he's also called us to do the same, to honor, to love, respect everybody around us, not just the worldly leaders. We're still in the world, even though we're not of the world. So we're to we're to interact with the people, the most difficult people, the worldly leaders, all the way down to the to the most, uh, to the easiest people to, to deal with the people around us. But that's the second part. Let's look number three briefly at believers that we are to be involved with worldly affairs. Believers are are to be involved with worldly affairs. Just, you know, verses 13 to 31, we won't read them again, but just as it would be wrong to become like the world, it would be wrong to pretend that we don't exist in the world and avoid being involved altogether. Here's how Joseph involved himself in these verses. He did his job. Remember in chapter 41, as he was advising Pharaoh during the seven years of plenty, he said, enact a 20% tax. And at the time, the money was flowing. There were, there was, uh, they had animals. They had food. They had water. Everything was great. Nobody even noticed a 20% tax at the time. Everybody was happy. Not only that, but tax rates in the surrounding areas at the time could be as high as one third, 33%, or in one case, 50% of income was taxed. So, you know, at this time, everybody was plent- everything was plentiful. Everything was okay. They were gladly giving that. But now, no one's growing anything, or at least not much. And what was taken from them in tax is now sold back to them for money. Now, I'm tempted to be cynical, as I know many of you are also. You took this from me <laughs> before, 20% of what I made, and now I have to pay you to get it back. You wicked government, <laughs> That's how I'm tempted. But again, as we've discussed, as we see in Scripture, this is a valid role of government to tax and to use it properly. Now, using properly, that's where it's debated, right? But Joseph had enacted the plan and has led to the people surviving during a famine. So he sold the food for a couple of years to the people until they ran out of money. Then he sold the food for animals. What he could have done is he could have turned Egypt into a welfare state but he didn't. He said, buy the, food. buy the food. You're out of money, then buy the food with your animals. Your horses, flocks, herds, and donkeys. And the people did that happily. <laughs> they, they didn't want to die. So they sold their animals for food. But that only paid for another year of food. The famine persisted. They came and notice verse 19. It's the people's idea to sell themselves and the land to Pharaoh. And Joseph agrees and he buys it all. Not for himself, not for his own good, for his own gain but for Pharaoh. Then Joseph gives them seed because apparently we've reached the end of that seven-year famine. He says, here's seed, sow it, plant it. You're gonna be able to start growing again before they even know that's even a possibility. And then the 20% tax is still in effect. That's what he says to them, right? In, In perpetuity from now on. Now we may not like the sounds of all of this, but verse 25, they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. They're happy about it because they get to survive. To them, starving was not worth their freedom. They would rather eat and be slaves than be free and starve to death. And that's jarring to many in the American view. But this was acceptable to them. Some people condemn Joseph here. They say this whole, verses 13 to 31, this is ridiculous. Joseph never should have done this. For some people, this is just a waste of time. Why is this even in here? What does this have anything to do? It serves a couple of purposes. One, it teaches us that believers in God who are awaiting our lasting home should be involved in worldly affairs. It's teaching us we should be in, Don't just pretend that nothing matters here. You know, well, I'm going to leave anyway, so it doesn't matter what happens here. Joseph got involved, and it wasn't only Joseph. The biblical pattern was God's people, when they're in a foreign country, help to run the foreign country, help to keep things running well and going good. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, Or children, you may know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All four of those men served a foreign government and kept it going. And kept it going well. They kept getting promoted. Think of Esther. By the way, she was tempted to avoid being involved. (laughs) God says, uh, you've been placed here for Who knows whether you've been placed here. Her uncle Mordecai says, whether you've been placed here for this purpose. She had to get involved. Joanna. In Luke 8, Joanna was Herod's household manager. Herod, the one that Jesus called a fox because of his immorality, his hypocrisy, his ineptitude as a leader. This woman, Joanna, managed Herod's household, and out of that, she provided for Jesus and his ministry. She was involved. So we need to be involved in the affairs of the world while we're here. Israel was even told to pray for Babylon when they were exiled into Babylon in Jeremiah 29 and to seek its welfare. Seek the good of Babylon and keep it going and keep it moving well and and pray for it. Pray for the people. So it it shows us this, that that we're to be involved. But secondly, uh, a second purpose is to show the fulfillment of God's promise. Again, God said, I will bless those who bless you. Pharaoh is blessing Israel beyond what they could ever hope for. And imagine, God begins to bless him. Pharaoh now owns all of the animals, all of the food, all of the land, and all of the people in the land of Egypt. God's blessing Pharaoh for his blessing, his people. Later on, a new Pharaoh will rule over Egypt and he will curse Israel and he will be cursed. And as God takes his people out. So this section is not worthless. It's not extra. It's not a a step-by-step method for a government taking control. (laughs) But it teaches us that as God's people who are in the world, but not of the world, we should be engaged as much as we can be for the good of our God, for the glory of our God, for the good of the people around us. Our application here is, believers, we need to be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. And hopefully this has been a little bit of a helpful picture of what it looks like. Not a complete picture, that's why we have the complete scriptures, but just a picture here of what it should look like. Involved, engaged, interacting, being a part of this world, even though we're not of it. Father, thank you, Lord, that you have saved us God, that you have made us different. You've made a distinction between those who are your people and those who are not. God, we praise you for the the blessings. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, you have given to us already. God, thank you for that truth. Thank you for that hope that we have a Savior who has not only saved us from our sins, Father, saved us from the consequences of sins, but rose again to conquer it all and who will come back for us. Thank you, Lord, that he's preparing a place for us and that he will come again to receive us to himself so that where he is, we may be. God, help us to long for that home. Lord, help us to look to that home, to that kingdom. Father, we know that you're keeping us for it. We know that you're keeping it for us. God, I pray that we would live with that mindset every day, that we don't belong here. Yet, God, because we don't belong here, Father, I pray that you would work in us to make this a better place for those around us, for your glory. God, that people would see the love of Jesus for him, for among his people. God, that we love these brothers and sisters around us more than ourselves. God, that they would see that we love them despite their sin, Father. That you'd give us those opportunities to share this good news, this gospel. Father, that people would come to believe in Jesus, that they would turn from their sins and that they would join us, Father, as your, bro- your, your children, sons and daughters, that we're brothers and sisters of one another. God, thank you. Lord, help us to be in this world. But Lord, keep us from the evil one. Keep us th- so that we would not be of this world. We praise you for Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen.